The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. I want to start with yesterday's national shutdown. So a few reflections on what happened with the EFF. I was on with Clement a little while ago where there's a debate about whether or not it was a successful shutdown that was held by the EFF, of course, led by Julius Malem. Of course, the police themselves, that coordinated effort from the different sectors, they have a view about how that played out. This morning, Lieutenant General Fani Masemola, that's the National Police Commissioner, was speaking to our colleague Bongani Bingwa about the success according to them, of yesterday's shutdown. Take a listen to what you had to say. What were the arrests specifically for? Uh, most were arrested for, like, you are blockading of roads in terms of putting objects on the road, banning uh, tires on the road, throwing stones at uh, passing cars or throwing stones at police, uh, damaging of uh, infrastructures, uh, some did attempt to break into shops. Uh, some did uh, have a confrontation with uh, non-participants uh, or forced non-participating people to take part in their in their protest. So those are the various crimes that we arrested them for. More than 24,000 tires collected is what we are told. Isn't that number a little too high? I mean, you'd need, I would imagine, quite a few trucks to carry such a load. Uh, yeah, we, 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 uh, we, we did spot, uh, especially earlier, day before yesterday, that tires have been distributed and uh, we, we send out the message that police or law enforcement should collect these tires and uh, yeah the province is uh, collecting the tires the eastern cape is the one that collected most uh, 11,000 over 11,000 tires so yeah we we had no choice but because these tires we find them placed strategically along key roads uh, on top of bridges or below bridges so we could see what they were to use them for so we Collected them in the process, and at the same time, we were able to again arrest a lot of people. Khaldun uh, arrested the most people, 149, uh, followed by Northern Cape unexpectedly so, but uh, we arrested 95 in Northern Cape, followed by uh, your Eastern Cape, where we arrested 84 people. Over 24,000 tires collected, eh? Do you remember in the lead-up to this national shutdown, Julius Malema saying to EFF members, I think he had a, a meeting with them on Friday, and said, those are our tools of trade. Hmm? Why are you exposing that? Because police had already started confiscating tires from members supposedly linked to the protest. But the EFF has also thanked those who participated in the national shutdown. Listen to its national spokesperson, Leanne Mateis. From midnight, this clarion call was answered and masses headed to the streets. We saw a huge turnout of youth in particular. This national shutdown was an expression of the deep frustrations of the people of South Africa. We are deeply frustrated against the high levels of crime.
against the violence that men in this country perpetrate against women and children, against unemployment, load shedding, and the lack of service delivery that defines the life of the poor in South Africa. The day was marked with protests across the length and breadth of this nation, as we have just said. But key to that were those protests that were led by the officials of the Economic Freedom Fighters. All of our protests were not only successful, but they were not marked by a single incident of violence, despite the massive fear-mongering by the ANC government. The most damage that was actually done was done by those trigger-happy police and by the ANC government itself. Worse, Cyril Ramaphosa, the corrupt Cyril Ramaphosa, has spent over 166 million on a month-long deployment of the army. Another testament to the success of the national shutdown is that ESCOM was able to suspend load shedding because there was a lower anticipation demand for electricity. That was Leanne Mates, EFF National Spokesperson, thanking members and those who came out and heeded the call from the party for a national shutdown. Now, Pretoria, if you did not know, was pretty much the epicenter of that protest where, of course, Julius Malema himself appeared and led a march from Church Square all the way, not to the union buildings, but to Mklambandrovu, the presidential guest house area, Pasifako Makato. I think you were somewhere there. I remember speaking to uh, eyewitness news journalist Alpha Ramushwan and he said, oh, it looks like they're headed towards Hatfield. And I was like, what is the street that you're seeing? It's like a Dumbarton, Duxbury. There's a road there that leads you towards that area. And I knew then that's what they were going to do. A lot of people saying that they were attempting to copy what happened in Sri Lanka, the occupation, of course, of the president's house. That's not what happened, though, yesterday. We speak to Alpha Ramushwana now. Ralpha, Alpha, you were in Pretoria yesterday. I imagine you drove around this morning as well. Is it business as usual? Is it back to normal in the capital? Good morning. Well, good afternoon, Tidi. Yes, um, we did take a drive around the capital city today. Of course, we went to some of the hotspots or the places that were flagged as, hot, as hotspots. Um, these include Marabastad, the Burgess Park, uh, Church Square, and we also went to the union buildings to see if, you know, uh, are there still police? Are there still some EFF members there? And what we found that there were no EFF members at all today, but police are still very much on the ground. We did even see some military uh, people or uh, some in some parts of uh, the CBD in Pretoria. So it's still very much boots on the ground. And they did say that this deployment might last three months. So it will be very much interesting to see if will they be they be there next week or not. But today, police are still monitoring the scene. All right. You spoke to different business people, retail people, vendors even, who I imagine were affected by yesterday's demonstrations. What did they have to say to you about the experience between yesterday and coming into today? Because today is also a public holiday. Mm. I spoke to an elderly elderly lady who expressed that um, the money she makes each day puts food on the table at night. So depending on how much she makes during the day, it's going to give her family food later during the day. So because she couldn't work yesterday, it was really hard for her to, you know, get some food for her family uh, yesterday specifically. She did mention that she came with her, her her stall. She wanted to set up her stall early in the morning, but was told by some fighters or EFF members rather to to pack up and leave and not work because something will happen. 
who knows what would have happened if she had stayed there. Um, so they are saying that this protest did indeed affect their pockets very much. It did affect their daily bread. And uh, they were just hoping that the EFF could protest without having to force them to, sh- uh, to close doors. All right, thank you. That's Alpha Ramoshwana from Eyewitness News reflecting on what Tuani looks like a day after the national shutdown. The interesting tidbit for me with the shutdown, mind you, is some of the EFF leaders were part and parcel of the shutdown. Their businesses went ahead yesterday when they're calling for everyone else not to do so. We're sticking with that story. I'm bringing on now political analyst Dr. Levando to join us now and make sense of what the national shutdown was about. Dr. Ndo, thank you so much for joining Joining us, welcome to the show. I must first ask you the fact that there is a debate about whether or not the demonstration was successful. How should we read that? Good afternoon to you, CD. Good afternoon to the listeners at home. Um, I think this discussion is taking place because um, there were a number of expectations not only from the EFF, but also from the general public. And these expectations are informed by a number of events and rhetorics that took place before Monday, the 20th of March. Um, When everybody else heard of a shutdown, not just a shutdown, but a national shutdown, Uh, Some might have thought that indeed everything is going to stop in South Africa. South Africa is going to be standstill and nothing is going to happen. But at the same time, there is still a discussion whether it was actually a shutdown or a protest and a demonstration. Mm. And what we observed also is that Indeed, there was a march and people were protesting about a number of issues that are very close to the heart of many people. And if one is asked the question whether a march was successful or marches were successful, it will require one to have known to which extent would one say South Africa marched and you say it was indeed successful people would say, based on the uh, discussions, the press conferences that were held, and the expectations of that, they could not match what was actually said uh, before the actual uh, uh, day came. But the effect of the matter is that a protest took place, a march, marches took place, and indeed, and grievances were actually submitted to the right people. And my view is that the EFF was able to achieve, to a certain extent, what they wanted to do, to march from, uh, to Pretoria, to march somewhere in Centen, even though the numbers would have been disappointing by their own standards. Mm. Was this, is it fair to label what happened? And I'm looking at the days leading up to yesterday, not just Monday. Was this a temperature check, you think? Because we are headed towards elections. He does have a task to try and capture the imagination of the younger voters that people are expecting to turn out. Is it fair to say that he also needed to use 
yesterday as a temperature check to see how popular he is among South Africans beyond his party. If South Africans heeded the call and went to corners, as he said, demonstrating that would have said something to him about what his chances are ahead of 2024. Is that a fair assessment to make? Well, it could be. Um, Remember, a few months ago, um, there was a match by the Democratic Alliance to uh, Lutuli House and a demonstration by the Democratic Alliance in Pretoria. Uh, there was also a march on Friday by the ANC in the city of Tswane. And now there was um, uh, the call shut down or protest by the EFF. And all these things are happening at a period leading up towards the general elections. And my sense is that political parties are trying to position themselves uh, towards 2024 uh, uh, elections, and they would love to be always remembered for raising issues that are closer to the hearts of the people. Mm. And both the DA and the EFF, I on their agenda, was the matter relating to load shedding. Uh, the ANC in Tswane was marching against service delivery and the misuse of funds. So you're seeing uh, political parties trying to reposition themselves towards the elections in 2024. But another area that uh, I think it's important to note is that it is time for political parties in South Africa to develop strategies on how they communicate with their constituencies and the general public. All right. There was a lot of criticism on the uh, march by the Democratic Alliance, criticism on the march of the ANC, and also criticism on the yesterday's down, down and protest. And that is what political parties has to look at very yeah. closely. Yeah, all right. Thank you. That's Dr. Levi Ndo, political analyst, assessing the EFF national shutdown, saying they've achieved some of the things that they wanted. But overall, political parties need to look at how they engage with their constituents. The Midday Report. That's right. You're with TD Madia standing in for Mandy Wiener. I did say there is a lot on the go in the country today. It is a public holiday. We are commemorating Human Rights Day, of course, marking 63 years since the Sharpville massacre. President Cyril Ramaphosa is out in DR in the Northern Cape where he is leading government's efforts to mark the day. Let's take you live there to listen to what he has to say. Because it is a day on which we celebrate the great progress that we have made as a people and as a nation in building a democracy that is founded on equal human rights for all. But it is in building the democracy that we have that we should be proud of, even though others would want to diminish this democracy, even though others would want to abuse the rights of others, intimidate them, compel them to participate in protests compel them to participate in days where they should not go to work 
I am happy that the majority of South Africans did not heed the call, but they exercised their rights as South Africans. It is a day on which we remember and pay tribute to the many people who fought for these rights and for the great sacrifices that they made. Many of our forebears fought for the rights that we have enshrined in our Constitution. This is also a day on which we look to the future. Asipeleli apagupela, sichonga pambili, uguti sasa letu luzo balunja nina. And we reaffirm our pledge not only to safeguard and uphold these rights at all times, but to strive to ensure that all people may exercise these rights to their fullest. As you have said, Reverend Nissen, we should exercise these rights and leave no one behind. This is a significant year for the celebration of Human Rights Day. This year is the 100th anniversary of the adoption of the first Bill of Rights in South Africa's history. In 1923, the African National Congress adopted a Bill of Rights that demonstrated the aspirations of black South Africans for equal rights in the land of their birth. This was an act of remarkable vision at a time when the majority of South Africans were by law denied the rights that we now have today. The adoption of the Bill of Rights, which had no legal standing at the time, took place just a decade after the Native Land Act had resulted in the mass dispossession of Africans of their land. It took 13 years after the Union of South Africa confirmed that black South Africans would have no say in the running of their country. Today, as we mark Human Rights Day, we pay tribute to those men and women who had the vision and the foresight to proclaim that all people in this country have inalienable human rights. Ba chobati si sonke sinao amalunger. Ba chobati wongumuntu walapa South Africa una amalungelo. All of us have basic human rights. 
That's President Cyril Ramaphosa speaking at government's uh, celebrations, Human Rights Day celebrations out in DR in the Northern Cape, saying that, you know, we are paying tribute to those who contributed to our rights, who has been able to celebrate our rights fully. The Midday Report. Steady. Because of the shutdown by the EFF, we, 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 we can now see the police visibility in our streets. And I can tell you now that if we were to have the police visibility like the one that we can see, the level of crime would go down significantly like your hijackings and all these other crimes that are committed in the country. So if it was possible, the EFF, uh, I wish they could do this uh, shutdown every day so that this government can release the police to be on our streets so that we can feel safe in our land. Thank you, EFF. Thank you, our city, for the great show. Moses. Hi, city. Are you guys kidding me? Is there anything new that we're going to hear from Ramaphosa? You guys are playing us, uh, uh, him speaking as if we are interested. This guy is quick to go and make speeches in Sharpville, but very, very slow to attend to matters of national importance. Hey guys, no, we'd rather have converse, a conversation for the whole show. We can't listen to Ramaphosa, please. Uh, uh, you don't want to listen to Mangameli. <laughs> I do have an issue with the fact that the Human Rights Day celebrations are always everywhere but in Sharpville. So I'll give you a little bit of that. I also think that con- that issue around should it still be called Sharpville Day? Should it be called Human Rights Day? I think that conversation is still going to be with us for a long time. I think part of the problem, if you've listened to arguments, is that because the ANC is in government, they're trying to raise a PAC-linked effort as far as the struggle for democracy is concerned. So it is still a- a- an issue. I don't know. I think sometimes you must listen to the president. Moses, I agree with you about, funny enough, I agree with you about the police efforts. I think that coordinated effort that we saw in dealing with a, 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 a protest, mind you, which is enshrined in our constitution, the right to do so, is actually quite disheartening because where are they every single day? I remember seeing EWN uh, journalist Alpha posting a picture of that state of readiness from the police. And I was like, where are they when we're dealing with murderers and rapists every day? Hijackers. If we could see more and more of the, the technology, they have technology to fight crime. Thank you so much for your voice notes. Keep them coming. Cape Talk. We all have a voice. Use yours. Call 021-446-0567. We go now to Sharpville, where we find Komuto Mudise, EWN reporter. Komuto, I imagine a lot is happening in Sharpville today. It's where many people would like to maybe see the president, but that's not what's happening today. We have different political parties that have gathered there. Let me know at first who is present to commemorate um, that massacre that happened in Sharpville, and are they actually working side by side? I always feel like a lot of parties congregate. Are they doing separate events? Are they working together? How does it work? Good afternoon, Sidi. So you have guessed right. They are all um, really just pulling in different directions. I mean, they've had to share the Pelindaba Cemetery today where each party, this was Azapo, the PAC, as well as Bosa and um, the ANC and Action SA, they all had replaying ceremonies that they had uh, scheduled for the morning. And so scenes from this morning at the cemetery were really interesting. There were shaped uh, flags with 
really different shapes and sizes and, you know, a lot of signage at the, at the cemetery. And they've finished their wreath laying and now they are in different parts of Sharpville. The order really, at least for government as well as the PAC earlier, was that they would move from the cemetery to the monument. Of course, the monument is where the people, the 69 and 180 that were injured, mm. um, lost their life, or well, the 69 lost their life. It's where the massacre actually happened. And so they've laid some wreaths there as well. And it's, it's the same thing really every year where we see that um, commemorative walk that happens from the cemetery. And so each political party now is in Sharpville uh, having their own uh, event. It is festivities in Sharpville today. And we see this every year at CD where it's really a buzz. And at the end of the day, really, everyone leaves and goes back to their lives. And then they leave people in Sharpville with whatever challenges they've been dealing with. Have you managed to hear from anyone outside of the political parties about, cause I, cause I feel like the, the people in Sharpville feel like it's a spectacle. You know, you clean up and you prepare to arrive, you arrive, you go. Have you spoken to people there, the residents? I've actually spoken to one family member, well, a woman who lost her father, um, in the massacre. She spoke to us early, really, she was just standing right next to the grave when I saw her. And she reflected on the time, well, the number of times that government calls them to come and have this commemorative feast that she's called it. And she says, really, she's tired. She's tired of being called to commemorate and remember her father, only to be left behind with unemployed Mm. children, with a hunger-stricken home. And I spoke to someone else also who's a member of the PAC, an elderly man, who says, you know, he's got no more hope. Um, you know, he thought yeah. that he would see some sort of changes, especially in Sharples, because of the significance of the place. But he's spoken about how he, he has no more hope to see that. Sure. But see, I just speak to some political parties. Um, uh, there's Puntin Kobeni, actually, who's the leader of Action is there, who spoke to us. Maybe we should take a listen to what he has to say. Um, we think that it's important that we must remember this day and um, not only remember it but reflect as well you know 29 years into democracy have we really lived up to um, you know the blood that was shed here of the victims and the heroes uh, that uh, uh, got uh, killed and got injured here I think uh, if we reflect um, honestly we'll say we still have a long way to go um, but the most important thing that they've uh, managed to deliver for us is uh, is democracy uh, for us to be able to exercise our rights to vote and um, to change a government if it doesn't deliver and doesn't uh, treat us, um, you know, in the manner that we were, they had hoped that uh, it treated us with, you know. Come on, so parties like Azapo and PAC often talk about how there's an attempt to erase this particular day. Did you speak to any of them? What are their thoughts? So the event today, at least at the Pelindaba Cemetery, was led by Azapo and the PAC. There were more of them around the cemetery than any other party. And I did speak to one of the leaders of Azapo, Simpiwe Hashe, who actually welcomed everyone at the cemetery, including the ANC. Mm. And then he made some really bold statements. Let's take a listen to what he has to say. Our fight should not just be against Ramaphosa. Our fight should be to remove the ANC from power. That is why we are in this revolution. Otherwise, these people's lives would have been lost for nothing if we are not able to pursue a struggle that will remove the ANC from power so that those who demand the land for which they died can be attained. 
Komoto saying bold statements being made in front of the ANC that it's the ANC that must be removed from power. She is out in Sharpville where they're commemorating 60, 60 years since the Sharpville massacre. Cape Talk, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. We speak now to Amnesty in we speak now to Amnesty International. Um, we are observing Human Rights Day, but we are doing so as people are dying in our country um, from freedoms that should be protected, that are enshrined in our constitution. Joining me now is Minky Stetler, the spokesperson of Amnesty International South Africa. Minky, thank you so much for joining us. Um, South Africa's constitution is praised quite often for the, the rights that it has for being progressive. But there is a contestation, I find, between what the ideals are in the Constitution and our lived reality. Yes, exactly. So the Constitution is praised, and rightly so, it is one of the best in the world. I actually shockingly learned this week, and I should have known this, but apparently Australia does not have a Bill of Rights. So we should be pleased that we have it. But as you rightly say, the implementation of those rights, the lived reality of people on the ground is not something that um, that I think anyone can say is, 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 is happening in South Africa. Minky, where are we going wrong, though? I mean, if there is a barometer to check off as far as the human rights, and there are actually quite a few, but when you weigh us against the barometer of progression, we seem to have regressed over the years. What is it? I think there is concern, I think, from Amnesty International's point of view about even the amount of assassinations that we are now seeing, the amount of hits. Yeah. The phrase Inkabi, which is a Zulu phrase for hitmen, is pe- becoming part of our lexicon on a day-to-day mm. basis. What is happening there and how do we plow back and try and change that? We have to, it's all down to implementation as well. We have great laws. We've mentioned the constitution. There are other laws that flow from that. And it's where it's, it's, there's no point in having good legislation and not implementing it. And that's why we call on the government to, you know, to implement um, the laws that we have. When it comes to the, to, to, for example, the assassinations, and it feels, I don't know how you feel and your listeners feel, it feels like we're hearing about assassinations almost on a weekly basis now, right? And um, this weekend with, uh, with Peter and Thomas Murray um, being the latest victims, and what we're saying is that the justice system must have a deterred. Investigations must be very, very thorough. Uh, uh, people must be brought to account and people must see that if they do carry out these sorts of acts, they will be held accountable for it. And not only, of course, the people who did the actual physical killing, but also the people who, who, who um, you know, who paid for it, who, who planned it, who asked for it. Mm. And it, it's for anything. We, we also mentioned, for example, so obviously there's a lot of people that have died over the last number of years, but also most recently we think of, um, of Babita Karan, who was also shot outside her home in 2021. But we are also thinking of children like little Langalang Biki, who died in a pit toilet. Um, and we just feel like today we are, we are marking the people who gave their lives at the shop for massacre for these rights. But if we, if we really reflect on it, there are still people dying because they are either standing up for what is wrong, or they are, uh, 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 or their rights are not being upheld, and because they shouldn't have been at the toilet there in the first place, you know. Mm. So um, it goes quite deep, and it all comes down to the government putting the resources behind it, putting their, their money there where their mouths are, putting it into action, eradicating the toilet, bringing people to justice if you carry out right. these killings. 
and, um, and, and, and then we can see South Africa flourish. All right, thank you so much. That's Minky Stetler, spokesperson of Amnesty International. Her line was not the greatest, but ultimately saying that we have a right to security as members of this country. The Midday Report. Let's make our way now to KwaZulu Natal, where the South African Civic Organization, that's ASANCO, is commemorating Human Rights Day with former President Jacob Zuma. Eyewitness News reporter Ntlantla Mabaso is there for us. Ntlantla, before I even start I'm talking about today, let's speak about yesterday very quickly. You've driven around Durban, around KZN. Are you seeing any remnants, any remnants, any leftovers really from the demonstrations mm. yesterday? Is it back to business? Is it business as usual in Durban? Well, indeed, it's uh, business as usual here in Durban, but of course one remains remains in awe of the police presence deployed in various parts. You'd recall on Friday the provincial government said that uh, security forces would be activated in all parts of the province in every district, but with regards to businesses that opened and they are resuming uh, with uh, the uh, operations, but one can tell that today is not a normal day given the public holiday, although it's a very quiet day, but it, the situation today has remained, you know, very normal. All right, let's speak about today. Former President Jacob Zuma is expected to be addressing Sanko. Is he there? Um, what has happened thus far there? Well, Peter, he's here under very heightened police presence. I can tell you for a fact that I've attended uh, the former president uh, a lot of events, but today seems to be a different situation with regards to situation. In fact, I'm speaking to you now, Siri. I'm inside a police area. It's one of those deployed here ahead of the former president's arrival. He's just arrived alongside one of his daughters. He was warmly received by people singing and chanting, really showing him love, as you'd recall that he was elected the provincial chairperson of Sun Queen that conference which sat on the twenty seventh and the twenty eighth here in mm. But how does Sanko still explain the presence of former President Jacob Zuma as a chair? Because Sanko National has a very different view. Is that not something that they addressed today at all? Well indeed Siri, that still raises eyebrows as to how does the province continue with its structure you'd recall it's a former youth congress uh, chairperson, that's Tulani Kamete, who is now the provincial treasurer with this um, Zuma uh, tenure in, in, in Sanko, the recent one. It's actually, you know, uh, the one who's even on social media and maintained. But regardless of what National says, they as a province, they, they claim that they held that conference on the 27th and 28th of Jan. They claimed that that conference elected Zuma as their provincial chairperson and they still claim that their provincial leader is none other but the former president himself. Alright, thank you so much. So we'll be bringing you more of that story throughout the day, of course. And obviously what former president Jacob Zuma actually says, I think you'll obviously weigh in on the shutdown. I saw videos over the past few days of his son, Duduzani Zuma, speaking about the shutdown. Somebody who seemed to encourage the July unrest in 2021, suddenly saying that he didn't believe that the shutdown now seemed necessary. I'm very sure his father will weigh in on that. What do you expect the former president to say? The Midday Report. Hi, TD. Uh, we can only truly measure the success or lack thereof of uh, yesterday's uh, march or so-called shutdown uh, in the future uh, when we see if the demands their demands were met 
Uh, I mean, firstly, they called for the president to step down, and uh, that hasn't happened yet. So we'll only see if the, uh, the president will yield to their demands. Secondly, they called for an end to load shedding, uh, but that is, or, you know, the government has already started working on that. So, you know, even if load shedding comes to an end, can we really say it was because of this uh, so-called shutdown? Mm. Thanks. Farai. Good afternoon, Cape Talk team and listeners. I just want to mention something short and sweet. Human right means that each individual should be treated with respect, dignity, and equity. Always a great show, Bradley. Good day, midday team. Uh, 7.02, I think uh, uh, I want to congratulate uh, EFF. ANC did not see it coming that they were forced to deliver uh, a service. It was a serious litmus test for the ANC and we have proven that we can govern the country and we have proven that the resources are there, we have proven that uh, feet on the grounds are there. So big up to to watch you to EFF. What is critical that now is that the South Africans should demand all of these services and it is clear that we can have electricity without interruption. So we must mind this as a, as, 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 as a country. EFF has just proven that. Good afternoon, Siri. I'm listening to Ramaphosa delivering his speech. It's like he doesn't want to. He feels tired. Yeah, no. Maybe he's tired of telling people lies. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's tired of telling people lies. Because it's, also, it's just lying, 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 telling people lies. But come 2024, we'll show him the truth. Thank you so much for your voice notes. Tired of telling people lies, you say. Um, I think there is an issue around demand. South Africans are realizing that they should be demanding more of their government. I also can't get over the pictures that we saw where law enforcement was coordinating the way that it actually should be doing every single day. So I understand the issue of demand. The president being tired, if you listen to my political analysis on any given day, on any of these shows, I say we have a reluctant president. And honestly, if you don't want to serve us, you should not be serving us at all. But again, 2024, South Africans, if you are happy with the status quo, then continue. If you're not, then you know what you need to do. The Midday Report. All right, so I'm changing my mind very, very quickly. I said I want you to hear from the president, but I know you don't want to. You've made that very clear. So let's talk about something slightly more interesting. We're touching base now with Tourism SA. They've launched a campaign called A Seat at the Table. Let's find out a little bit about what that's about. I'm joined now by Head of Domestic Tourism for South African Tourism, Mashoto Mukheti. Thank you so much for joining us, Mashoto. A Seat at the Table. What is this idea about? It's honestly good afternoon. It's um, honestly about what happens in Easter. Uh, in Easter, we generally, as people, um, put a seat on the t- well, put like um, food on a whole long table, and we eat and we invite friends and family to enjoy Easter together. So what we're doing right now is saying, let's do it differently. As opposed to being home, go sit your table somewhere else in a much more fun environment. 
I feel like I have so much nostalgia when you speak about a table filled with people. What kind of environments, though? How can people look into offers that are available? I know that tourism may say will obviously promote particular areas around the country. Where can people go to find out how to find interesting places where they can have a seat at the table in interesting um, in, um, spots in the country, around the country? They can go to shotlift.co.za or alternatively, they can go on to our social media platforms, which is at shotlift on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. Now, Tourism SA and even the Short Left campaign, you've been trying very hard for years to try and get South Africans to engage and explore the country a little bit more. Are you watching? Is it bearing any fruit? When you look around, are you finding that people are warming up to the idea of holidaying around the country and exploring South Africa more? We are checking at numbers that are higher than pre-COVID. So yes, the simple answer is people are getting out there. <laughs> that is beautiful. <laughs> simple answer to you. <laughs> that is beautiful. I have run out of time though, Mashoto Mukherjee. Thank you so much for your time. She's head of domestic tourism for South African Tourism saying, instead of having a seat at the table at home, why don't you have it somewhere else across the country? South Africa has lots to offer. It says check their social media pages as well as short left. The Midday Room. Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.